from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our telephone number. If you want to join our late night national town hall meeting, feel free to do so. Uh, good Wednesday to you, by the way. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. So let's um, dig right in. There's a few things I want to talk about coming right out of Washington, D.C., uh, as I always try to keep you up to speed on what's happening in America at night. But this actually happened during the day. And President Biden, before he went on this trip to Ireland, um, he signed off on a new proposal for the toughest emissions rules on cars ever. Yep, pretty much forcing, it looks like 67% of all vehicles that are going to be made to be electric vehicles. Listen to this. Biden uh, is accelerating the nation's switch to electric vehicles by announcing two proposed federal rule changes aimed at reducing greenhouse gases and other pollutants in motor vehicles. Uh, Yada, 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 yada. Listen, this this is supposed to save you and me, uh, consumers, $12,000 in fuel and maintenance. So I guess the $12,000 we save, we spend on... On the car, right? We, you know, goes towards the car because they're typically more expensive, these cars. And their batteries are also more expensive. But anyway, uh, this move aims to further Biden's goal of having 50% of all new cars and light trucks and 30% of new medium and heavy-duty trucks sold in 2030 be zero-emission vehicles or EVs. Now, this is interesting uh, because, again... I'm sure there's people out there that love the idea of driving a, you know, really big pickup truck with no, um, with no gas, but I'm not one of them, right? You know, and I don't have a pickup. I have a, a full sized SUV and I just bought a new one. Interesting. I'll tell you a little quick story. Uh, I just bought, I'm not gonna tell you what kind, but it's British. And I can tell you this thing is a dream when it's working right, but when it's not, it, 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 they seem to like malfunction. They're so heavy on the uh, electronic components that it's it's kind of scary. And it's like, man, this is not, uh, I mean, yeah, 380 horsepower. That's cool. But, you know, what happens when this thing doesn't work? Now, you take, uh, you know, an American-made, you know, 5.4 V8 type engine, and let me tell you, these things, they go forever and ever and ever. You might have rust all over the body of that car, but that engine will will keep going. And I think that's the, the the big deal, right? And that's why so many people favor those cars. But anyway, uh, I'm going to get back into this, and maybe we'll talk more about my um, my musings on cars. Because let me tell you, it's interesting out there, very interesting market. But that's what Biden's doing, and um, I want you to hear from Reagan, not Ronald Reagan, Donaldus Magnus, as Al Rushbo used to call him, uh, but Michael Reagan. Uh, who is the administrator for the EPA. I have a good 30-second clip here I want to play for you where he's announcing new emission standards at a press conference earlier today. Listen to these. EPA is proposing the strongest ever 
federal pollution technology standards. Who's going to go with number eight? But if you're trucks. playing the other ones, then yeah. But he goes on. EPA estimates that this proposal would reduce our cumulative CO2 emissions by 7.3 billion metric tons from the years 2027 through 2055. That's equivalent to eliminating all greenhouse gas emissions from the entire current United States transportation sector for four years. So the Biden administration has spent roughly $31 billion on the development of so-called clean transportation over the past two years, including the development of a network of electric vehicle charging stations, improving the supply chain of materials to produce EV batteries and making loans to companies that manufacture EVs and EV components here in the United States. Like we talked about with Tudor Dixon about the one they put in Detroit, right? Right in Michigan. And it turns out it's a Chinese company that's uh, in cahoots with Ford or renting a Ford plant and, uh, you know, under the guise of making it look like it's an American made thing. And it's really China, 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 or as uh, Trump would say, China, China, China. So uh, I'm wondering, when people speculate and criticize Biden for doing things that precipitously help the Chinese uh, with these windfall things, when they clearly have a, a monopoly on the battery market and on the mining uh, rights in all of the countries where they produce the minerals needed for these batteries, I can't help but think, man, why is Biden always looking out for China, looking out for the People's Republic of China, looking out for the CCP, his main man, Xi Jinping, and never looking out for Uncle Sam and you and me? I just don't get it. Now, listen, I, I mean, I have my ideas. I just I'm, I'm fighting those ideas where I start calling him a, a traitorous, treasonous, um, SOB, yada, yada, yada. I'm trying to I'm trying to be fair here, but it doesn't look good for Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, if Joe El Baboso Biden didn't make all these silly mistakes all the time, we'd be a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little bit more forgiving, right? Perhaps. But it turns out that not only is he on vacation, a nice taxpayer-funded uh, family reunion, as one uh, reporter put it, but while he was, well, he's there now, but while he's there, some of the documents containing sensitive information about President Biden's trip to Northern Ireland, well, they were found on the street in Belfast. The documents were from a police service of Northern Ireland and included a rough itinerary relating to Biden's visit and contained the names and positions of police officials, according to a U.S. Secret Service official. The documents did not contain any Secret Service information, their security plan or the names of any uh, agency personnel, uh, but not good, right? This is not good. I, I would presume that the president's travel plans has to be like some sort of classified information. So we've got one former president that's in trouble for having, uh, uh, you know, a couple of hundred documents. Meanwhile, others have had several thousand documents that are not secure. But now we have a sitting president that's just all over the place, you know, having them strewn upon the streets. Now, again, I don't know if we could pin this one on Biden or the Belfast cops looking to embarrassment or, or somebody uh, embarrass him, I should say, or just somebody making a mistake overall. But it doesn't, um, it doesn't escape me, right? Uh, it's not lost on me that this is just so ironic. And uh, I think 
we're going to have a few more little um, moments of, of gaff laughs from Biden's trip as he's out at the bar. And we have some audio on that. We'll get to it a little bit later. But I'll leave you with this one clip of Biden in Belfast uh, where he's uh, letting everybody know how excited he is for his family vacation. Listen to this. And I wish our mom, Catherine Eugenia Finnegan Biden, were here today. She'd be so damn proud. You know, uh, she uh, Louth held such a special place in her heart, and it really did. And today uh, we carry her home in our heart, for real. We think about her all the time. Well, uh, blessings to the memory of your mother, sir. Uh, I'm not here to talk bad about anybody's mama, unless, you know, unless I'm looking for a fight. Uh, but I do want to talk about the fight that's going on between Congress and Alvin Bragg and uh, John O'Connor. He's a former U.S. Uh, assistant U.S. attorney, uh, expert on Watergate. He's going to be joining us to break it down for us a little bit and tell us about his new book. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our guest, he's the the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Uh, He's also a former assistant U.S. attorney from Northern Northern California, and John O'Connor is our guest. John O'Connor, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. So uh, thanks for being here. Let's let's uh, dig in. Uh, I want to get into the book, but we'll do that in the next segment uh, because there's uh, plenty of time to get through everything. And uh, Watergate's one of those stories I just love to to hear about. But when uh, we look at Watergate and the significance that it was uh, where, I mean, pretty much every political scandal that that comes to light since Watergate uh, has officially been known as a gate scandal, right? <laughs> Whether it was, um, you know, when Jill Biden called um, some uh, Hispanics at a breakfast not too long ago, um, breakfast tacos that became Taco Gate, et cetera, et cetera. And I make light of that. But th- this was the scandal of all scandals. But today we, we have new scandals and we have the indictment of a former president. And in looking at that, I'd, I'd love to get your take on how the district attorney, is uh, Alvin Bragg is now suing uh, Jim Jordan, chairman of the the House um, Judiciary Committee, over this his questions related to the use of federal funds in what they're saying is a political prosecution. John O'Connor. Well, yeah, and and really, this is really just uh, and not to not that Watergate is front and center here, but is but it is part of the same problem. That is to say. This is a fellow that likes publicity. He got elected by publicly uh, decrying that he's going to be a, a partisan prosecutor of Trump, and the media ate it up, and therefore he got elected. Now he's doing the same thing. He's playing the media violin very well, and he is um, pursuing Trump even though it's a terrible case. I mean, you know, that's the problem. It's a terrible case legally, and I think every – 
honest legal person on either side of the aisle will say it's a lousy case. But now what he does is when he's getting called on the carpet, now he says, gee, um, you know, this is, this is really terrible. I'm going to sue Jim Jordan. Well, you know something? It's perfectly proper for Jim Jordan to investigate as to why, because there's a federal aspect to this. Why are you in the New York State uh, District Attorney's Office, why would you be getting into federal election law and trying to convict somebody because of that? And secondly, are you interfering with the federal election by so doing? Because he clearly intends that. So these are very legitimate questions, and the um, investigative um, authority of the uh, Congress is very broad. They're supposed to investigate anything that might have to do with federal matters. And this certainly now has become a federal matter, unfortunately, because they brought in the election law into this and the the present election in 2024. So uh, now, why does he sue Jim Jordan? Because he knows that the public has the attention span of Nats. And also because he has a partisan press that will back him. Because the lawsuit is as terrible as his criminal suit. So he has no grounds on which to sue Jordan. It will eventually get dismissed. And he has no grounds to bring the criminal case, although with a partisan judge, maybe maybe it'll stay around for a while. But what it is, the central sickness in our society is a... A, a, a partisan media that does not have any intellectual rigor and does not think critically and does not report both sides of the events. So now what happens is uh, Bragg, even though both his criminal case and his civil suit are stupid, uh, he's going to get a lot of mileage out of it, and he's going to turn out very well because of this. So I know that's a complicated answer to a simple question, but – you know, the fact is, the guy makes sense in what he's doing, even though it's making sense in a terribly convoluted uh, way. I think that makes 100% sense. And I'll tell you this, I um, and, and people are probably sick of me talking about this, but I, I get a cup of coffee every day at a Cuban place. And, and the guy who makes me the coffee's been in the country for about 20 years, came from Cuba um, about 20 years ago. And he tells me the other day, he says, who's Alvin Bragg? And I, I go on to talk. He goes, no, no, no. I know exactly who Alvin Bragg is because he's on TV every five minutes. He said, whatever ends up happening with this guy, this guy's making himself famous globally by by the amount of quotes he's getting and the amount of coverage he's getting with this case. And he said it makes all the sense. In the, and this guy is a, 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 not a Trump fan in any way. He's a Trump hater. Uh, but he says, you know, it makes all the sense in the world of why he's going after Trump, even though it seems like an unfair case. This guy's got nothing to do but gain from all the publicity he's getting. So I think your analysis is spot on. And that's, you know, coming both from from you, who are a former federal prosecutor and from somebody who's just, you know, passively observing this. The other thing I think is interesting to note is that Bragg is saying that uh, the the feds or at least the, uh, the uh, members of Congress are interfering in his investigation, uh, yet he's not willing to answer the, the, the criticism that he's interfering in the upcoming election. And and I just find that to be so duplicitous. So again, uh, another point. Yeah. I think that's That's a excellent point. Now, something else that that you pointed out was how this is all kind of part and parcel with the same 
problem or illness that we had since Watergate. Elaborate on that, if you don't mind. Well, you just pointed it out. I mean, here Alvin Bragg is gaining notoriety with a silly prosecution because of the way it's being reported. I mean, he's not getting criticized as much as he should. He's not getting criticized for a civil suit as much as he should. So as long as the public can be made partisan and is made partisan by the media, then it's much easier for a guy like Alvin Bragg to come in and just simply play a partisan role. Trump is the devil. Therefore, I'm a hero. Anything I do to Trump is good. It's like saying, I'm going to go get Hitler. Who's going to be on Hitler's side? So that's the way this thing has played out. So we have a terribly dysfunctional system. If Alvin Bragg tried this in 1958, he'd be booed off the stage. People would say, what kind of a sleazy guy is this? What, what is this? This is just a betrayal of our principles. The country's not there anymore. The country has been made partisan by the media. Um, and we now, of course, have high tech where all information is in bits and pieces and we only look at something for 15 seconds. So the uh, Internet and digital um, news and so forth puts all this partisanship that we saw in Watergate, puts it on steroids. But that's what it is. It all started with Watergate when the Post realized that sensational reporting could overwhelm any rational thought or any deep intellectual rigor or digging. So that's where our, our the problem, general problem with our country is that we do not have any intellectual rigor, any bipartisan thinking, any discussion for that matter. If you go to CNN or MSNBC, is there really a real fair discussion of what's happening with Trump? No, there really isn't. There are a few people out there that because this is such a bad case, a few people like Andrew McCabe say, look, this is a lousy case. But generally, the public on that side of the fence is very supportive of the indictment. So it's, it's really a sad commentary on our society, is, is, uh, is what I would say. And it all started uh, with the partisan press and Watergate and put on steroids today and in that age. Yep. All right. Uh, hang on right there. John O'Connor, he's the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. John O'Connor is coming back with us. If you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and our guest, John O'Connor. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, America at Night. Our guest is John O'Connor. He is the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And we were just talking about how this partisan advocacy journalism, which can happen on any side of the aisle, is really destroying the public discourse in our country. John O'Connor, let's take it from there. Well, that's right. You notice today what is interesting is, and this is what I find, the divide in this country really talks about the divide as if the divide is equal on both sides. It right. is not. It is not symmetrical, Rich. Um, the, you talk to any conservative, they would love to have a debate, a discussion. Some yeah. of them would be angry. Some of them would be rational, but they would want a debate. Yet I, I, I live in California. I know that most people are just not even open to a discussion about how maybe just things that don't shouldn't be partisan, like inflation. Should, right. Shouldn't we have a discussion about that? But no, we can't because everything's partisan. The other side will not debate. Should Biden have restricted drilling? Oh, no, no, we can't have that debate. We can't have that discussion, which hurts everybody. It enriches Putin and makes our, our pump prices high and the price of every good that has anything to do with fossil fuel. You would think, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. Why is that a partisan issue? But it is. And you can't have that discussion. And so when you can't have a discussion because the media uh, and the together with the political party they're affiliated with don't want discussion, it doesn't help them. It does not help Biden and anybody else that's going to get rich off of green deals to start talking about whether it's a good idea. So what we have is we have a situation in which one half of the country does not debate things. And when you don't debate things, like John Stuart Mill said, you don't, you don't have the benefit of a democracy and you don't have a good democracy. You don't have – liberty is not helped by people who are ideologically frozen, so to speak. So – uh, you know, if you say something, if you're in Russia in the old days and you said something get the com against the Communist Party, sure, they're going to get you. We're getting close to that now. Now, the people on the conservative side, you know, it's like herding cats. Everybody on the conservative side has its own has, has their own point of view, and they fight with each other as they should. Should we be in Ukraine? Should we not? Should we have a black shank? Should we not? People on the conservative side like to debate and discussion, come up with the right answer whatever it might be. But that does not happen on the other side. And I don't think it's because the other side are bad people, especially the moderates. But they are cowed by the media. They are cowed by the people that are the opinion leaders, thinking that if they have these discussions, then they're normalizing this terrible right wing. We can't do that. We can't normalize people. Well, you know what you're saying? Half the country that you can't talk to because they're not normal. Is that it? So it's a real disease. And if you look back at our country, no matter how heated the political debates have gotten, back from the days of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who debated each other vociferously, we haven't had that problem. At least we debated, even if they're angry. But now we do not have it. We have a couple of channels where you don't get any debate at all. Now, at least on Fox News, where although, you know, you can say Fox News is conservative and all that stuff, and it is, but they, they show the other side. 
They right. show the other side. They may have pundits who don't like the other side, but they let the other side speak their piece, and then they start arguing with whether it's Richard Fowler or Leslie Marshall, whoever they have on. I don't see a conservative voice in these other places. I read the New York Times and Washington Post looking for some conservative voice that is principled and sticks up for conservative principle. You don't see it. So how can you have a democracy if you don't have that process? And how can you have enlightenment? And, you know, our country was founded on a wonderful time, the enlightenment, whether it's, you know, you name it, whether it's the English enlightenment, the Scottish enlightenment, and so forth where you discussed and debated ideas. We don't have that now. And so what happens is in, in Watergate, it started there. You got mansions, you got Pulitzer Prizes, you got wealth, you got celebrity by nailing the other guy. You didn't get all the wealth and power and prestige by uh, being down the middle and saying, oh, you know, this other side may have a point. May, well, maybe but Richard Nixon is getting screwed here. Maybe Nick, Richard Nixon didn't do everything that they said he did. Maybe he's bad, but not that bad. No, we didn't have that. We had this sort of um, almost, um, I don't know what I want to say. It, 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 it's like a group think. It, it, it's, it, yeah, it's a group think, and it's almost orgiastic is the word I'm thinking of, like people dancing around the fire, like um, Native Americans dancing around the fire to get themselves whipped up in a frenzy where emotion overtakes reason. And that's what we've got now. And it's a terrible, terrible situation when we've got so many problems that we need to face rationally and we're not doing it. You name it, from homelessness to climate change to a weakened military to a border crisis, there is no debate. There is no discussion. It is settled that we have this terrible climate problem when we don't have it. Okay, that's just one example. We do not have it. Um, and but uh, I'm happy to debate anybody on it, and, and if they give me some information that uh, proves what they're saying, I'd be interested in it. But, you know, here I, I, you know, I've read 35 books and about 200 articles on climate change issues, but I can't find an opposite number who will talk to me about why they think this hypothesis has been proven. And so I guess my point is, I'm, I'm happy if somebody proves me wrong. That's why I'm doing this. Uh, am I wrong? Uh, right. But we do not have that debate, Rich. And that's what's destroying our country. It's, it's, it's a broader problem. It's not any one particular issue. We do not think rigorously and with open minds about how to solve our problems. John O'Connor, would you say that it's, it's a lack of intellectual inquiry and that we're dumbing down society and, and, and that natural inquisitiveness that we should have, or is it more nefarious? Well, I don't, it's only nefarious on behalf, on behalf of some people that are behind it. Most people who are implementing this just don't know any better. They're sheep. They follow, you get a job in the media and your job is not to question why your job is to go out and do the next story on why climate change is causing their tulips to wilt. You know, um, that's, that's what you're trying to do. So most people are people of good faith who just do not have the critical thinking skills. And these are people who are getting out of college without having been intellectually challenged because most of the teachers are from the sixties and they're teaching ideology and not critical thinking. So we do not have 
Western civilization taught in our schools. We did not have critical thinking in our schools. Mm -hmm. Then the people get out of school. Um, So most of it is not nefarious. There are some people behind, for instance, climate change, that don't think of themselves as being nefarious. They're socialists, and they have an agenda they think is right. They don't tell us what it is. But really, all climate change started as uh, as a a socialist type of thing, that basically we should sort of tear down the bigger industrial nations, quit being industrial, and and give more money to the uh, underprivileged countries, but not really to help them. Not really to help them get their own infrastructure. They don't want infrastructure for the other countries. They want us all to go down. As Winston Churchill said, the main virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of misery. You know, the main <laughs> vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of its blessing. So what happens is we have all this happening. So those people, you can call them nefarious. You can call them just people who have an agenda different than you and you and me um, that are behind it. But most people are just uh, just not very intelligent, fairly fair, uh, fellow travelers who just, you know, mean well. They think they're doing the right thing. They listen to their stations. They want to be upright people. And here they are. They end up electing Joe Biden and thinking it's really a good idea to let millions of immigrants across the border. Uh, you may not like Sadly. Trump, but it's a good idea to close the border, isn't it? You know, yep. but that, that shouldn't be political, but it is. So there you are, Rich. I think that's the ailment. And that's why I spent 10 years of my life writing Postgate, because I see this as the central problem in our society. I see it as the central vice this lack of critical thinking combined with a media that is tremendously partisan. 90% of the media is decidedly liberal and not really into thinking critically or causing debate. It's an anti-debate society. John O'Connor, pause right there. I want to come back and talk a little bit more about Postgate and let everybody know how they could find it if they're interested in it. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. John O'Connor is our guest. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And if I had it my way, uh, John O'Connor, I would definitely make sure that the way it used to be, where people would study John Locke and uh, Montesquieu and, you know, not just Das Kapital and, and the rest of Marx's work, but it seems like we're not there anymore and intellectual uh, inquiry is falling by the wayside. But that's why we have books like yours. Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's par- Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And and that in and of itself, I think, is a book. But uh, John O'Connor, let everybody know what they can expect when they pick up two copies of your book. You'll be stunned. By the way, I compliment you. There are very few people I talk to that understand the importance of Locke and Montesquieu. 
and the wisdom they bring. So just the fact that you know who they are, Rich, puts you above about 99.9% of the people (laughs) that are out there. Uh, Well, thank you, sir. And the reason I wrote this book, and I spent 10 years of my life doing it, is because I realized that the real serious problem that, you know, that, that we are facing, that we're... So the problems that were discussed and solved by our country's founders and by the Enlightenment thinkers like Locke and Montesquieu, that we don't have that anymore. We have lost sight of their thinking and their wisdom. Mm-hmm. And if you lose sight of the wisdom of the past, you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of history. That's what it is. And these people thought about things. They understand they understood the errors that can happen and the tremendous social discord that could happen. And that's what we've got. So what I did was, if you read Postgate, you'll be stunned. Because I start out with my own story. I'm basically, at the time, a relatively moderately liberal guy. My father was a Democrat, probably could have been governor of Indiana, but he had seven kids by the time they asked him. Uh, you know, so forth and so on. So I was always a Democrat. And um, I was very, and then I ended up uh, figuring out who Deep Throat was. Years later, I, I realized that I knew his grandson. I went up and so forth and so on, met Mark Felt, convinced him to admit he was Deep Throat, convinced him to come out. But in the course wow. of this, I got in touch with the Washington Post, Bob Woodward, and I was very close to them and ended up dealing with them. And I recount in my book, it's fascinating. I don't want to give away the punchline, but anybody who reads this, it's not just about Watergate, but it's my personal interaction intellectually with the subject and then personally with people from the Post. And at that point, I began to think, you know something? You know something? I think they're covering up. You know, when you talk about Nixon covering up, Rich, yeah. I said, these guys are Nixon. covering up something. It wasn't Nixon. It was these guys. <laughs> right. And, and I'm now getting into this now at this point. So I start looking at all these sources, and by God, I start proving they were covering up. And I think, I can't believe this. And so I got into it, into it, and into it. And when you read my book... Now, so what they've done is my book just tears them apart, and it's an interesting intellectual um, a travel uh, uh, over something that everyone thought was taken for granted. Oh, Nixon was this terrible guy. The Post was this wonderful paper. No. And, mm-hmm. and, and Nixon tried to blame this on the CIA. Guess what? Nixon was really more of a victim than he was a victimizer. Now, he, did he commit some process crimes? Of course he did. You know, as he covered up something that he didn't understand— But the Post covered up far more. The Post knew more about Watergate than Nixon knew. And and if your readers look at my book, Postgate, they'll see that the Post knew from the very outset what was happening, and they covered it up. A very important scandal. Nobody can get away from that. And yet we were never told the truth. And this thing became this overblown affair, and the Post learned a lot about it. You can fool as Abraham Lincoln says, you can fool all the people all of the time. So all the all the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time, and that is what the Post learned in Watergate. It worked then; they fooled everybody or most people, 
enough to get a, a sort of a contagion going against Nixon. So uh, the psychology of this is very interesting. They fooled us. And when you read this, you say, you know, this proves this is this is enough to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm a federal prosecutor. I have proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the post was deceitful and fraudulent in Watergate and that Nixon, whatever blemishes he had, and he had this weird personality, Mm -hmm. was really set up by the post and wrongfully reported by the post. And they covered up what really happened, wrote a writing false history to this day, and now what was false journalism is becoming false history. Once you see that, horrible. once you see that, you say, wait a second, this didn't just happen once. This is a template for what is happening today. Yep. This is a it's template, and you see, you see the same things. And now what you've got, you now have a much more facile electorate. You have people that are not as well educated. They think they are. They think they're better educated, but they're not. Right. And you have people that have the attention span of gnats, given the internet. And with that sort of, um, I yeah. don't know what you want to say, influ- influence, in- influenceable, if that's a word, um, uh, susceptible minds, you now have a, a terrible situation for a democracy. John O'Connor, uh, I don't want to hold you over anymore, but I'm out of time in this segment. Would you be able to stick with us for just another moment or so? Well, you know, I probably, I, I will, I will. If we want you to got do it. it, yeah, let's do it another time. Okay, okay. don't uh, don't go anywhere. Up. You got it, Rich Valdez. America at Night. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And again, I just wanted to wrap up with John O'Connor. He's the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Check out the book Postgate. John O'Connor, I wanted to thank you for being with us and being generous with your time. Fascinating story. We appreciate it. Well, Rich, it's such an important topic, and I've spent a lot of my time. It's my sort of contribution to society. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really just trying to get the word out for people to start thinking about the way we think, if we can do that, and the way we discuss things, and the way we report things. And hopefully, if we do that, we can save our democracy. Right now, things aren't looking good. I'll tell you that, Rich. 100%. Godspeed to you, sir. Thanks again. It's John O'Connor and his book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversations with Dr. Robert Malone. He invented the mRNA vaccine, and his book, he says the government lied to him. Don't go anywhere.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, on all of the social media. And it's our Wednesday night edition. I'm happy to be with you. If you want to join our late-night national town hall forum, get in line now. We're going to get to the phones a little bit later. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And President Biden, uh, just, uh, I don't know, 20 hours ago, 22 hours ago, he uh, signed the bill. That officially ended the COVID-19 national emergency. Now, what happens now that this thing is all over? Is it really over? Of course not. People are still dealing with the fallout of so much of what happened in COVID, from supply chain disruptions to people dealing with um, vaccine injuries and, and the like. And I said, you know... This is one of those things we've got to get to the bottom of, and we need a pro, somebody who's an expert, somebody who knows exactly what's going on here, and somebody who's been outspoken from the beginning, uh, and for being outspoken, was censored, right? I don't know if you remember that, but Dr. Robert Malone, he's the inventor of the mRNA vaccine uh, that deals with the DNA vaccine technologies, and he um, he said, look, I, I, I helped create this thing, and uh, this isn't what it's cracked up to be, and when he did... He went from being one of the most respected doctors globally to being a pariah. And they said, no, 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 you're not allowed to talk. Nobody's allowed to hear. Matter of fact, if I tried to share something where he was talking, they were putting labels on it on on the social media. Uh, So that is what happened. But here we are today. And finally, he's uh, continuing to stand up for what's right and what he believes in and tell his story. And he's got a brand new book. And it's called Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming. Dr. Robert Malone, welcome to the program. Rich, thanks a lot for having me on and uh, for a chance to chat tonight with you and your audience. You bet. It's my pleasure. I, I think there's a, a lot to discuss, and I think that's why you wrote the book. Uh, and let's let's talk about, you know, and I guess there's a lot of places to start pulling at this thread, but maybe just walk us through in, in memoir form, if you will, how, how this whole mess started for you. Uh. So the, uh, it's a long story, but uh, I, I'm a specialist in outbreaks and infectious disease and working with the government to help them solve complicated problems, pull together teams and that kind of stuff. Um, and I've got a long history of doing this with Zika and Ebola and, and flu, etc. I got a call on uh, January 4th of 2020 from a, uh, um, I guess now retired CIA officer who alerted me that um, there was a novel coronavirus in Wuhan that looked like it was a potential uh, major public health threat and asked me to get a team uh, built and engaged uh, to try to work on uh, countermeasures for this novel virus threat. Uh, And I kind of haven't stopped going ever since. Wow. Now, 
when you get a call like this, is this like an informal thing, a collegial thing, or somebody you'd worked with in the past, or was this the government reaching out to you? Because it seemed like the same government was then trying to silence you, or at least, you know, turning a blind eye to the media silencing you. Uh, well, I think the government, uh, there's a essay today in the Epic Times that showed that the CDC was actively involved in um, uh, censoring me as well as many others through a subcontract of the company that organized uh, basically flash mobs um, uh, to attack people on social media. And these are the people that take credit for getting me deplatformed off of Twitter. But yeah, I, I uh, was working closely with the government at first, but with a different branch, not HHS. Um, I'm well known to HHS and have worked with them quite a bit in the past, but more with the Department of Defense and focusing on drug repurposing and uh, identifying uh, drug countermeasures for this novel virus. Uh, I only got drawn into the vaccine controversy because of my knowledge and expertise in past history in, in uh, enabling the platform technology. And right. that's, that's uh, and then the other thing that kind of put me at odds with the government was I objected to what was being done ethically in terms of failing to provide informed consent and uh, um, uh, eventually mandating these jabs for people. Uh, that's where I started off. I mean, this is a delicate business. Uh, in my case, I had a consulting business that I built up over decades and, uh, and I was really um, afraid, frankly, of speaking out and destroying my business. But uh, what was being done was so wrong, so egregious that I had to make a choice. Do I um, speak out about what I know and what I'm seeing and how wrong it is? Or do I just stay quiet like a lot of my peers did and uh, go along to get along? And uh, I've, I've had a, a, you know, a long history of being trained in bioethics and really trying to live a life committed to um, being ethical. And so for me, when I, when I realized that was the conundrum, the paradox, uh, there was no question as to uh, what road I had to take. And I guess I was on the phone today talking with my friend, Pierre Corey, um, and uh, he's writing a book right now that's also going to come out through Skyhorse, talking about what happened with ivermectin. And his point was that I may be one of the very few who really realized um, what was likely to happen to me if I did speak out, and yet I still did. Um, so that's, that's kind of uh, where I've come down is with full knowledge that there would be blowback, uh, that I would uh, pay a price for speaking. Uh, about what I knew, um, in particular, that started with the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein and Steve Kirsch. And then, uh, you know, money podcasts later then the Joe Rogan podcast, which just, you know, caused Silicon Valley to have a meltdown, it seems, because I <laughs> talked about mass formation psychosis. And, uh, and it's just, you know, at that point, after I'd done those two podcasts in particular, um, I was persona non grata, had to be taken out. And, uh, um, you know, and I got I got to experience the full force of modern propaganda and the government uh, collusion with tech and and corporate media. Uh, and it's it's been a sharp learning curve. I mean, it's a it's a pretty rough, ugly world out there in modern media.
Dr. Robert Malone, what was so bad about what you had to say, an esteemed professional uh, in your field? What was it that they were so afraid of you telling us? Um, the what it, There's been a lot of information come out about these kinds of issues because of the uh, attorney general's lawsuit against Google and the United States government, as well as the Twitter files, of course, and uh, the various uh, um, AstroTurf organizations like the Center for Countering Digital Hate and most recently the uh, attacks um, uh, from uh, the uh, um, Anti-Defamation League. And what it all comes down to is that uh, if, if one said anything that was different from the approved narrative of the day, because remember it changed all the time, coming out of the HHS in the United States or the WHO, then you were spreading misinformation because it could cause vaccine hesitancy. So it all comes down to the logic that if you say anything, whether it's true or not, that could cause people to become hesitant in taking vaccines, then you must be suppressed. That was the logic, and it still remains the logic at the CDC and other places and uh, within our government. And uh, the, the fly in the ointment, of course, is that what I was saying turned out to have been correct, and much of what the government was saying, the WHO was saying, turned out to be incorrect. But uh, it, it didn't matter, and it still doesn't matter. The sin is to contradict uh, the approved narrative, not whether or not what you've said is true. Well, I want to dig into that and discuss the namesake of your book, uh, which sounds like it's one and the same, Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming. Uh, That's the book by Dr. Robert Malone. He's the original inventor of mRNA, the vaccine technology, the platform that was used for the big COVID-19 vaccine. And um, we're going to get to the bottom of that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and our guest, Dr. Robert Malone. This is America Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Our guest is Dr. Robert Malone. He's the author of Lies My Government Told Me. And let's go to Kim in Michigan. She's got a question for Dr. Malone. Kim on KDKA, go right ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, I listened to you on the war room, Dr. Malone. And hi, Rich, it's a pleasure. Uh, What I wanted to ask you about is these fibrous clots that are one to two feet long that embalmers are finding when middle-aged people die suddenly? And what are these made of? They're not blood clots, but they're in people's arteries. What, what Did they ever analyze those huge clots, two-foot-long clots, to see what they are? Thank you, Kim. Doc? Yes, there, there's been quite a bit of uh, work on that, Kim, by my friend uh, R- Dr. Ryan Cole, who's a highly qualified pathologist, and a, and a group of other pathologists, including ones in Europe. And what we've learned is that what these are, and they're also removed uh, 
um, yeah, surgically from people that are still alive that throw uh, thromboembolisms uh, into their lungs. Uh, but uh, what they are is highly cross-linked fibrin. And uh, this is a consequent, it appears, to one of the biologic activities of spike protein, which triggers uh, a number of activities. Uh, we call them neutrophil traps and uh, other um, coagulation cascade events and seems to lead to highly, highly cross-linked um, clots that can't be readily broken down by the body. Uh, and uh, that's actually one of the areas of active research right now is finding enzymes that can uh, help resolve those because not only the big ones form, but also microclots form that uh, may be one of the things that is making, for instance, high-performance athletes uh, lose their exercise tolerance by having these uh, smaller kind of pludgy uh, gum-up-the-works uh, blood clots forming in their small vessels. Have I answered your question, ma'am? Yes. The neural things, are those like um, are those like white blood cell fighters or something? Are they bunching together? Is neutrophils that it? Neutrophils are a type of white blood cell. You're exactly right. Neutrophils is the, the uh, word you're looking for. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Doc, this stuff, is is this all resulting from the vaccines or is it a result of COVID itself? Um, so it appears that what's happening is the effects of spike protein itself, whether it's coming from the virus or from the vaccines. The uh, spike protein encoded by the vaccines is derived from the virus, and it has two specific individual mutations, amino acids, that are put in there for the, va for the vaccine to make it more immunogenic, but it doesn't change the toxicity of spike. And unfortunately, the data seem to indicate that the vaccines are causing much more spike to be made in your body for a longer period of time than is being made by the virus infection. But these, this is an intrinsic property of the protein from the virus that is being produced both by the vaccines for the genetic vaccines and uh, by the virus itself. And even if it's produced in caterpillar cells and then formulated it and injected into you, uh, this is the Novavax product, it still causes these types of toxicities. Wow. Well, it's good to know that there's, um, you know, research going into this. I know a couple of years ago, or, you know, half a year ago, you could even have a conversation like that because they would try to shut you down and say, nope, that's false. And I, you can even ask a question on social media without getting, you know, flagged in one way well, or another. You, you a really good point is all of this censorship and information control has really suppressed um, the ability of physicians and medical scientists to address the real problems that people are experiencing because basically we're not even allowed to discuss it except in closed session and small outgroups. Um, the full power of the medical industrial complex can't be mobilized because it's forbidden to even talk about these things. Right. And, and lamentably, it's not like we're talking about politics, right? We're talking about the science <laughs> that they so famously speak of. And if you can't talk All about right. science, what can and, you talk but about? The, but, but you just hit the nail on the head. Science has become politicized. It's yeah. unfortunate. Everything in our world now is politicized. 
And uh, what should have been common cause that brought us all together um, in, in common cause to overcome an external foe has instead divided us. And I think this is perhaps the biggest tragedy of all of this is not just the loss of life, but the tearing apart of the fabric of our society and turning us on each other. Yeah. And this kind of uh, rings true to what you mentioned uh, earlier about this uh, mass formation psychosis, which uh, sounds so sinister, but it sounds so accurate at the same time, lamentably. Yeah, there's a lot of different terms, mass formation, mass psychosis, mass hypnosis. This is something that's been studied literally for centuries. Um, it, it One of the earliest descriptions of it is in book three of Plato's Republic, in the allegory of the cave for those oh, that yeah. are philosophy teachers. Um, uh, so this is an ancient fundamental human property, this tendency to uh, act in a very tribal fashion and to get caught up in a, in a narrative. Unfortunately, uh, information has been weaponized as, against us, and we've actually had um, military units such as the 77th Brigade in the UK, uh, mm. actively deploying propaganda technology developed for fighting against the likes of Al-Qaeda against wow. their own citizens to convince them to uh, do what the government wants to do. And unfortunate for the government uh, here and in Europe and you know across the Western world, these governments have all succumbed to the fear that's been pushed so aggressively and uh, have caved in and and advocated policies that harmed their populations much more than they helped them. Not just the jab, but the lockdowns, everything. Wow. Well, in the um, minute we have remaining, let everybody know, uh, I guess, what they could uh, expect from uh, getting a copy, or I always recommend getting two copies of the book, one for themselves, one they can give away of your book, Lies My Government Told Me. So what the book is, is really a journey. The first third of it is uh, first-person accounts of what it's been like to be on the front lines from uh, fellow physicians and others. The second part is a, a long journey down all these rabbit holes of trying to make sense of what's happened to us. And the third part is about what can we do about it? How can we get to a better future? Outstanding. Folks, get two copies of the book. Author uh, from Dr. Malone, Lies My Government Told Me. Doc, I want to thank you for being with you, for being with us, excuse me. And I hope you'll join us again soon. It'd be my pleasure, and thanks a lot for the chance to chat.
don't don't have anything to announce on that or anything to share uh, on that or confirm or anything like that. Uh, as you know, we uh, uh, here at the White House we uh, very often uh, use influencers to try to, to try to meet Americans where they are. Uh, we've seen those reportings. I just don't have anything to share on that. So does that mean you're not denying it? I just I mean I just there's I can't confirm those stories. I just can't confirm or, or say. Well, KJP can't confirm anything, but that is the strategy. Uh, apparently, they're trying to to match up with uh, President Trump's social media following, and they're putting together this army of influencers for the not-yet-official bid for re-election, the unannounced, but I'm probably running for six or seven more terms uh, that Biden told to Al Roker at the uh, Easter egg roll. And I said, you know, let's let's dig into this tech stuff, because to me, um, this is uh, the, the new battlefield, right? A lot of things are happening here, and there's so much AI out there, artificial intelligence, where people can create these things that are real-looking and fake-looking and all sorts of things, and more real-looking than fake-looking. And we'll get to that in the next segment. But I want to talk with Jake Denton. He's a research associate for the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, he's got a handle on this stuff. Jake Denton, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. So what's the story here with this army of influencers trying to reach uh, young voters 18 to 29? Yeah, so this kind of hit the newswire about last week, and uh, it seems as though the, the Biden administration is going to leverage TikTok uh, for their 2024 uh, re-election efforts. So uh, this comes after Secretary Ramundo of the uh, Commerce Department came forward and said that, you know, out of fears of uh, maybe never winning another voter under the age of 30 again, they're, they're hesitant to ban TikTok. Um, and, you know, that it was a little bit of a conflict of interest. People were thinking that that might conflict with their ability to actually regulate the platform. Obviously, everyone is uh, worried about the security concerns there. Um, and now we see them rolling out a essentially comprehensive influencer program that will give, uh, you know, anyone from, you know, a, a teenager with a social media platform to a, a uni- kooky university professor um, a media briefing so they can disseminate information uh, straight from the White House on their social media platform. So, uh, it seems as though they'll, they will move uh, full speed ahead on this program. Um, that means, you know, TikTok influencers will have, you know, unique access to the White House um, and their information. So it, it's very troubling. No question. No question. Now, would, would from your uh, understanding of this, would it be the first time, I mean, it's the first time I'm hearing of it, that there would be a, a separate briefing room for influencers on social media? Yeah, from my understanding, this is, uh, you know, the first time something of this nature uh, is going to be happening. But, um, you know, frankly, this was going to be a a natural occurrence. Um, It probably should have happened in the Trump administration, you know, uh, not necessarily with TikTok, obviously, but maybe Twitter. Um, You know, this is where people are mainly getting their information. Um, And, you know, whether or not this is, um, you know, an ethical thing, right? These are somewhat becoming surrogates and they're getting uh, White House briefings for campaign purposes, essentially. Um, but this is a very effective form of messaging. Uh, it's really where you're going to meet your constituents most often than not, um, whether that be TikTok, whether it be Twitter. Um, you know, these are the areas where people are consuming the most amount of information. Uh, really, the troubling aspect of this is the fact that they are going to be depending on TikTok for the dissemination of these messages. Um, 
all while they're trying to regulate and potentially, you know, ban the application. Um, it's it's a total conflict of interest, but it is the first occurrence, really, from uh, in a historical standpoint of this type of program. And you know what? What I find interesting here is it, it, this is where people, I think, get their news right. Uh, so many people. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people get their news on on social media one way or another. They see articles and. I can tell you, being in this business, there are times where I can get a news story or a tip on something uh, sooner on social media, on Twitter or even Instagram. Somebody will send me something before they'll text it to me, before they'll email it to me. They'll, you know, they'll just start throwing things around. And, you know, an hour or two later, it's like it's the big story. So uh, I've, I've seen this happen a bunch of times and we've seen the power of social media, you know, going back to whether it was a planned thing or not, the Arab Spring and how Twitter was so influential so I, I look at that and I think, yeah, I agree with you. It probably should have happened in the last administration. There should have been a, a, a more emphasis on this because um, there was so much prowess with digital in the campaign. It would have made a lot of sense. But now that we're here, I think it it puts us in a unique place to to see will they be fair? You know, will they uh, continue to, to put the censorship labels or the warnings or, you know, this needs to be fact-checked or was fact-checked by a not-so-independent fact-checker? And and will that happen with, with um, those that are part of Biden's army or not? I want to talk about that. I also want to get your take on this artificial intelligence. Uh, last week, we saw some artificial intelligence that created a deep fake of Biden following the um, shooting in Nashville of him criticizing transgender individuals. And it, I listened to it, and the only reason I knew it was fake was because I think I knew Biden would never say those things. And B, um, he didn't make any mistakes. It was a very clear and cogent speech, and I said, that can't be Biden. But it looked like him, and it sounded just like him. So I want to get your take on that, as well as how they can pretty much deep fake anything nowadays, and it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty reliable. So, uh, Jake Denton, stick with us if you can. Folks, if you have a question and you'd like to join the national conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Jake Denton. He's uh, with the Heritage Foundation Center on Tech Policy. And Jake Denton, I want to dig into this, um, you know, a couple of things. Uh, uh, the the danger of TikTok, um, we kind of alluded to that a little while ago, and I want to continue with that because I think it can help disseminate a lot of false information, not the least of which is, you know, what they're going to discuss uh, regarding um how great Biden is. But uh, beyond that, I think there's there's a real threat with this AI-generated uh, deep fake videos. And uh, like I said, I saw one of Joe Biden responding, uh, you know, in not a very kind way to transgendered individuals. And, uh, and it was, you know, I don't know what their goal was, but it was clearly derogatory. And, and I thought, man, you know, somebody's going to believe that this is real. You know, somebody who doesn't know how Biden rolls and, and that he wouldn't say these things. 
And it makes me think we could, if you can inject a lot of that into social media, into millions of feeds where people see that because that's where they're getting their news and people start sharing it like, oh my gosh, check this out. Uh, you could really, I think, start to sway some public opinion with these deep fake videos. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what we're going to see here is the kind of convergence of two of the premier uh, issues amongst the tech space at this moment. Uh, you know, TikTok with the algorithmically generated, uh, you know, feed, right, with uh, hyper-targeted content that's going directly to the user's core preferences, um, overlapping with AI-generated content that's all artificial. Uh, none of this is real, right? You're using voice emulating software to mirror the voice of a public figure such as, uh, you know, President Biden, um, you know, deep fake software to uh, mirror the facial expressions of a public figure. And then, um, you know, you can disseminate that on a platform like TikTok very effectively. Um, and really, at the end of the day, there is no fact checking entity that is overseeing the, the types of content like that. So what you'll have is essentially these, these types of videos run wild. Um, and really, if it convinces one or two people um, you know, that's potentially all the damage you need to get done because this is a quantity over quality uh, type of operation that you often see. Uh, you know, people will just, you know, deploy these videos at scale, hoping to just convince as many people as possible. Um, and that means, you know, uh, maybe one or two people per video, but um, it's very troubling. And there's really nothing we can do right now unless, you know, legislators step up to the plate and regulate these technologies. You know, this is interesting to me because... I think there's there's also an, a push to kind of normalize it or to um, to minimize or mitigate the the freak out that people have over these fake videos and and fake images and whatnot. And I think there was a, a big push for that during the the, the week that Trump uh, had his arraignment in New York City. There was all these images of Trump fighting with the police and whatnot. They were all over the internet. And, uh, and then there was the Pope wearing um, the uh, bubble coat. And uh, it, it just seemed like, you know, these were seemingly innocuous, seemingly um, novelty types of things. But at the same time, I think people were like, oh, yeah, AI, deep fake, not so bad. Right. Then there's one um, I saw of uh, an article that I saw citing how some Trump supporters created a deep fake of Hillary Clinton endorsing Governor Ron DeSantis for president. <laughs> and and it, while it, it, you know, it draws laughter, it, it makes you think, man. This is something. And when you have that and you it falls into the, the hands of the wrong people, i.e. the Iranians, the Chinese, who I know already run these types of foreign influence operations, uh, Putin and the Russians, uh, now we have a recipe for disaster. And if the only answer to that is for the government to regulate more, I think we're in bad shape. What say you? Yeah, you know, this is very interesting because we're at the earliest stage of this type of technology. Uh, you know, many people saw the rise of chat GPT and they think that we are, uh, you know, years and years into this cycle. But really, this is a product of, you know, weeks of improvement. Um, and it, you know, just shows that this is exponentially getting better. Uh, one of the main issues we're going to face moving forward is that there is no requirement to uh, essentially label something as artificially generated. And so right now, it's really easy to discern if you're paying close attention, if something is real or fake. Uh, you know, you can kind of look at the lip syncing. doesn't really match up. You can hear the voice. There's not the inflections that you would normally hear from a, a public figure. Um, but, you know, two, three weeks into this or maybe two, three years into this, it'll look very different. 
And frankly, if we don't get in on the ground floor and shape this from a regulatory perspective, um, we won't be able to make up that lost time. These things will have evolved um, to a scale that um, it'll be really hard to, to catch up to um, from a legislative perspective and from a regulatory perspective. Um, and that's the real issue here is, um, you know, in one respect, you'd like to see this develop out and um, be able to regulate this from um, an informed perspective. On the other hand, you don't really want to wait and see where it goes because um, really this is going to define our future. And if we don't uh, shape this, uh, some other force will, whether that be big tech in Silicon Valley, um, you know, imposing their own views into the technology or, uh, you know, a foreign adversary like China. Um, you know, they're actively imposing their moral uh, views into these technologies um, and it's finding its way back into the United States in terms of the content limitations, you know, what these systems are willing to produce. Um, so really, it's incumbent upon our, our leaders, really, to uh, step up to the plate here and make sure that we're not left in the dark. Yeah, well put. And and I think, you know, just today, you're talking about how, you know, there's some deep fakes that are distinguishable. But there are some, as of just earlier today, Fox News is reporting that there's an AI-generated Joe Rogan podcast that's stunning social media right now with terrifying accuracy. And it's mind-blowingly dangerous that Rogan tweeted it himself saying, this is going to get slippery, kids. Uh, So we're going to get into that straight ahead. Jake Denton is with us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. Jake Denton is a research associate at the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, and he's with us. And right before the break, I was mentioning this story in Fox News. Listen to this. So there's an AI-generated Joe Rogan podcast that's stunning social media with terrifying accuracy. This is the headline. Mind-blowingly dangerous. Rogan tweeted it himself saying, this is going to get very slippery, kids. I can't play it for you due to legal reasons. We're not allowed to play uh, audio that we know is fake. And that's a good thing. Um, cause it goes beyond opinion. It's clearly not real, but this is AI chatbot chat GPT. They've created a 51 minute episode of the Joe Rogan experience featuring nearly flawless representations of the podcast hosts voice and the voice of open AI CEO, Sam Altman. The episode begins with an AI-generated Rogan welcoming the audience to the first episode of the Joe Rogan experience, speaking in a manner and tone that is difficult to distinguish from the real person. Jake Denton, what do you make of this? Yeah, well, you know, this, uh, this technology is getting better every single day. Um, I think, you know, we've seen across YouTube really is the main mechanism that this is kind of being spread at the moment. Um, AI music in particular has really skyrocketed in engagement. We're seeing artists like Kanye West covering songs um, from other artists, and it's actually fairly hard to discern whether or not it's a real song or not. Um, you know, this is uh, it's getting strikingly close to the, the real product, um, and it's quite concerning, right? I mean, 
obviously the next iteration of this is matching it up with the lips and having it be a, a deep fake with a, a very hard to distinguish uh, voice interlaid with it um, for a, a comprehensive fake product of, you know, uh, an individual's, uh, you know, likeness mirrored with their, their voice. Um, and it's very troubling. This could be used for any number of purposes, whether it be um, blackmail, um, you know, Hollywood just producing a movie with uh, maybe an actor who's passed away. Um, there's really no telling where this will go. Um, and, you know, again, I want to reiterate, we're at the very early stages of this. This technology will look completely different um, in a matter of months. And, you know, uh, an incomprehensible amount of difference in just a matter of years. So um, it's it's exciting, right? We, you know, this could be a, uh, a great leap forward for us. Um, but it's also very troubling because we're really not ready for it. Uh, there's no regulations in place. Um, and there's not even an ethical framework to approach this technology. Right. Other than please don't lie, right? <laughs> please don't create fake <laughs> yeah. stuff. I mean, one would think if uh, I can't go on the radio and say that I'm Rogan and, you know, I can make fun of him, I could do a parody, but you can't really pretend to be somebody that you're not. But it seems like chat GPT gets a pass on faking whatever it wants to do and plagiarizing things. And nobody says anything. It's, there's got to be some sort of copyright infringement somewhere, in my opinion. Uh, again, maybe they use the, um, you know, like all the people that like to impersonate Trump and just, you know, say it's, well, it's entertainment and he's a public figure and that's how that works. Um, so you're right. It's an interesting thing where there's, there's a lot of loopholes, but I, I can't imagine uh, that everybody's going to get away with this copyright infringement. There's got to be somewhere, somehow, where you can nail them down. Jake Denton, uh, let everybody know how they could um, keep up to speed with what you're doing and uh, follow the work that you're doing. Yeah, sure. You can find me on the Heritage Foundation's website at heritage.org. If you just search my name in the search bar, Jake Denton, you'll see my writings. I'm also on Twitter at RealJDenton, the letter J, uh, you know, tweeting anything from media clips to just takes on the news cycle, uh, try and highlight these types of, uh, you know, developments, whether it be AI-related, TikTok-related, um, you know, anything under the technology umbrella uh, we're handling. So um, those are my two main areas you can find me, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, very insightful conversation. A little bit scary, got to be honest with you. Um, that, you know, it, I had this conversation, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago, where there was an article saying that, you know, radio hosts are being replaced by AI. Not radio hosts like me, but more like the guys who announce records that are coming up on a music station who do a lot less talking. And I thought to myself at the time, I wonder how long before they can replace a guy like me, you know, who talks for three hours. And voila, here we are. So hopefully it's the real me the next time you're on, Jake Denton. If not, I okay. hope that you will discern the fake Rich Valdez. But I appreciate it, and thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You got it. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America is starting right after this. We're going to take your calls on everything under the sun, plus everything we've talked about tonight. And we've had some really good discussions tonight, so I hope you've been tuned in. If not, check out the podcast. You can get it at richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. And give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back with Open Phone America. Live. 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and this is the Wednesday edition of America at Night, although it's midnight in New York, so that means it's already Thursday. And make sure you move your car if there's alternate side of the street where you are. And there's plenty to talk about tonight. And we've had some great discussions tonight uh, with the guests that we had. We had Dr. Robert Malone on earlier. If you missed that, make sure you check out the podcast, uh, America, excuse me, Rich Valdez, America at night.com. And um, we'll, we'll circle back with that later. But there was this clip of audio that I want you to hear. It was a video that I saw on Instagram. Uh, I was scrolling on Instagram, at Rich Valdez is my handle, by the way. If you want to give me a follow and uh, interact that way, feel free to do so. And like so often when people go on offense, there was a a gentleman there, and I'm saying gentleman because I have no reason to believe that he was not identifying as a man, but he had a beard. He did have like the rainbow-colored hair, uh, but you'll hear him in a moment, and he effectively makes the case that he says, look, The problem here isn't transgender individuals. The problem here is cisgender individuals. And again, if you're not familiar with the term that the left has created called cisgender, that just means you act like the gender you were born with. Or I would prefer to say sex. You know, I I never really signed on to this gender thing. Um, I don't know. Perhaps I just, uh, I'm a little stuck in my ways, a little old school, if you will. But I want you to listen to this. Y'all really want to try to say there aren't trans kids? Let me tell you what there aren't. There aren't cis kids. Okay, you telling your child, oh, you're a boy, you're a girl. This is a child. This is a free spirit that has not learned any of that bullshit. And so you force it on them. So cisness is the wound. Cisness is the delusion. Cisness is the lie. Cisness is the place of pain. Transness is the healing. Transness is the growth. Transness is the truth. Transness is what we actually are. We are fluid. We are 70% water. We are God. God is change. God is trans. We are trans. You are forcing your kids to be boys and girls. We're saying, be whatever you are, baby. Be free, be water, be light, be sky, be God, because guess what? That's what we actually are. What we actually are is trans, is change, is love. We're not the ones doing the forcing. And see God chiming just on time. Wow. Blasphemous, heretical, ridiculous, in my opinion. Listen. I don't think you need me to tell you. You never need me to tell you anything. You are very smart people that are listening to this program. Uh, and if you have an opinion on what you just heard, feel free to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. But this is one of those things I've got to look at and say, man. So the fact that we're born with a plug or a socket, right? let's make it very simple, that doesn't determine if you're a boy or a girl. It's me forcing my kid that was born with male genitalia to be a boy. It's me forcing my kid that's born with female genitalia to be a girl. It's that cisgender evil agenda 
That is the problem. Not this man saying that he's God, that he's fluid, that he's everything under the sun. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. Go for it. There is no boundary. There is no definition. There is no anything with this guy. And so many like him saying that the problem is to be straight or what he called cisgender, cisness in in this instance. And the solution, the cure, the healing is to be trans. I was floored. But again, this is how you make the argument, right? And uh, on this program, and again, if you um, haven't listened to the podcast, This Is America with Rich Valdez, I haven't promoted that in a while. Um, One of our last episodes, if not the last one, the one before it, we uh, talked about uh, Dr. Gadgesek. And I bring this up all the time because I'm floored. And whenever I bring it up, somebody goes, I never heard that before. And that's why I bring it up. This guy, Dr. Gadgesek, was a, a... What's the word I'm looking for? He was under the tutelage of uh, like a mentee, if you will, but not direct. Like He's just like, more like a disciple, um, a student of Alfred Kinsey's, the crazy sex doctor, who both of these gentlemen agreed that sex is not complete in a family setting unless there's intergenerational sex, meaning incest, meaning child abuse, meaning molestation. They, these guys were MDs, pedi- pediatricians, right, and had given talks at the American Pediatric Association or the American Medical Association, uh, pediatric breakout group or whatever it was, back in the 50s. And they were talking about how this, uh, what we make taboo and what we um, label as as um, incest, in their opinion, was really what people needed to do to fully experience their sexuality. Now, of course, Whatever they're saying, they're out of their freaking mind, right? Because you go to jail for doing that stuff. We haven't changed our laws to the point where it's okay to rape children. But they were suggesting as such. And this guy, Gadgesek, did go to jail for that after um, admitting to sleeping with three to 400 children and actually adopting more than 50 of them. True story. You could listen to the audio on This Is America with Rich Valdez, separate podcast that I do periodically. But what I want you to, to, to listen to this here is that's how, you, that's how you get crazy on a topic, right? You, you, you go whole hog here for this guy to say, look, the problem here is in transgender individuals and you can't deny our existence. That's what he's saying. So he goes ahead and denies everybody else. And says that you are the problem because you identify as a man. You are the problem because you identify as a female. And maybe you identify that way because you were born that way. Now, I'm not trying to knock anybody's hustle here. This is not uh, an anti-trans rant. I'm sure I'll get some hate on Twitter. Um, That's not my point here. My point is this guy should be getting the, the, the feedback. He's the one should be getting the critique. For people that are saying, look, just don't hate me because I was born male and identify as a man. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it literally is how the natural order of things works. I mean, the fact that we have to reiterate that is just so bizarre to me. But that's where we are. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of other things, plus your calls. We've got uh, calls from all over the place, so I'm looking forward to that. Let's get to those momentarily. 833-482-5337, 833-482-5337. 
833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Open Phone America, where we have a discussion on all the news of the day and any topic that you want to talk about, quite frankly. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Let us go to Brody in Pittsburgh, KDKA. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. You got me right on deck. I right on, I'm right. i going to hit it right out of the ballpark. First of all, I immediately speed dialed the legacy line, the Jim Bohannon legacy line. That's and, right. That's uh, let me shout uh, it out. Eight six six five zero Jimbo. Go right ahead. Thank you so much. Yes, rest in peace, Jim Jimbo. Wherever amen you are. To that. Um, amen. When, when, you, when the guy, the guy, I don't know. He said, "Listen to this clip," and then he like was making sense for five seconds or not even, and then he said, "God is trans." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Come on." You know, I'm like you, Rich. I'm 55 years old. I'm not a religious. Not I, you know. I don't have any kids like you. I just find that offensive. God is not trans. Come on. I think. Yeah. I mean, are they going to have a transgender church where where where, where Jesus is, doesn't know whether male or female? That's all. I mean, I just wanted to say about that. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think you're I think you're spot on here, Brody. I mean, and that's why I wanted everybody to hear it, because the the guy, you know, it it seems like he's making a contrarian point that you might agree or disagree with. That's fine. But when he gets into this third rail and this is where they like to live and this is why I call them the extreme left, because that's a very extreme position to take to sit here and now make these claims that you really can't make. And there's some people trying to intellectualize this by really saying, well, no, we, you know, he's God and God and uh, it comes from the mother God uh, movement that there's a whole movement saying, you know, to, to fight the patriarchy, we have to say that God is not a man. And it, it just, it, it's fascinating because it flies in the face of the, of the, the biblical history, right? I mean, there was Adam and Eve and, and Eve was born of Adam because she was from his rib. So that means if man was made in God's image, Adam looked like God, right? So it, it was clear that God is like Adam. And if Adam is a man, or at least we can identify him as a man, we would think we could. It just, it, it boggles the mind that they want to get to this, but they want to, they want to have, um, they want to get a stir out of people, number one. Number two, they want to trivialize anything that um, that that they don't agree with, it it will get trivialized, and and I understand that. There's things that I trivialize, but I I don't do that with one's faith, uh, because a I think it's offensive, and b I just think it's inappropriate. That's not really the basis for me. My ideas are not better than yours because I think you uh your your faith is artificial or something like that, right? That's not the argument I'm going to make. I'm going to make the argument that my ideas are better than yours because they're better. They're just better ideas based on, on on better thinking, in my opinion. And and everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I think when you have to now take people uh, who believe in God and, and think that, you know, I have to now change what God is in order to make my argument, I think you've just 
you've just lost it, in my opinion. But thank you for the call, Brody. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody listening on KDKA. You nailed it, Brody. Great call. Let's uh, continue. Let's go to Pat in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, you had uh, you're listening on KNFO out of Denver. Hey, Pat, welcome. Yeah, it's out of Aspen, but hey, uh, uh, Rich, you know, yes, sir. I, I listen to that guy. What, what, you know what? He does more harm to the transgender people than anything. I mean, this is what I think, you know, because of this last violence we had was a transgender person who, yeah. who murdered three young children and three adults, right? Okay, then... Uh, during that week after, we had a gentleman who came on your show. His name was Ed, and I think he referred to himself as a transgender person. Pretty thoughtful, pretty good-thinking man. Uh, I think it was man, but uh, what's, 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 uh, that's from the point I'm, I'm trying to give you, is that uh, he had some good ideas. This, this person had more hatred than I've seen any conversation. God is God right. is trans. God is clear. Clear is trans. Uh, you know, regular is not. I mean, he has, no, I think it was a he, would be, uh, <laughs> you have to say that. It's so crazy. It makes me laugh and giggle. But, you know, yeah. I, I try I to feeling. have respect for these people. And I try to say, okay, they're trying to live their life, like it says in the Constitution, to the happiness. Live life in happiness to, you know, our, 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 our country. And, uh, this, uh, you know, it, it goes all the way back to the gay issue and the lesbian issue, how it's more and more accepted because, you know, they took it on the chin for many, many, many years. And now more of them and more are being accepted. Now the trans are standing up and saying, we want to be accepted, but you know what? Accept everybody. And then things will come around. I mean, it's this. It takes time for the world to grow up, and that guy's not grown up. He is an instigator. He is a hater, and he's just a total loser. That's all I got to say about that. No, I I I agree with you uh, on so much of that because I'll tell you, the timing of this is horrible. When you have a, a gender shooter that goes into a Christian school and murders small children. Uh, nine years old, and then, you know, some adults. And again, it's, I don't know if it's any better or worse. I'm not trying to say it's, uh, I just feel like, you know, we know that these children are innocent. They had nothing to do with anything. And, and quite frankly, the school administrators were innocent as well. But in a time where things are emotionally volatile and people are killing people, for him to come out and say that it's the cisgender people that are the problem, not the trans people, they're the cure, um, it seemingly in some sort of reaction to what happened to me is n- not just unconscionable, but reckless and irresponsible. You can have all the opinions you want. I'm not trying to stifle his opinion. I want him to say what he wants to say, but I'm just saying, have a little bit of couth, have a little bit more tact in, in delivering your message because that can easily be construed by the next incel trans person uh, that is disconnected from reality, disconnected from their family, disconnected from a support system that they can feel like, you know, um, yeah, that's what I should do because you all are the problem, not me. And that that's shameful. Anyway, Pat, thank you. I appreciate that uh, excellent point that you brought up there. 
Uh, let us continue with Justin in Manchester, New Hampshire, WBNW. Justin, go right ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. Um, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I mean, Likewise. every time it really is, Rich. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, we need to stick together more than ever, Rich. You know, those of us who are patriots and, and love this country and hate, you know, what is being done to our country. Um, I mean, we're, we're losing everything. We're just we're falling apart fast. And, I mean, we, we need to stick together more than ever. Um, th- this person, you know, it sounded like a man, I you know, but I, I'll just say person who was just speaking about our children. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's free country. Hey, you know, if a man wants to transform into a woman or a woman wants to transform a man, hey, you know, you know, do whatever you want. But what is wrong, and I mean, it's it's really sickening and it's evil, is 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 lying to our children and brainwashing them. I mean, that that is the problem. I mean, it's not right. I mean, obviously, children, their brains haven't developed fully yet. I mean, they're, and they learn from us, you know, adults. I, and I tell you, I, I'm so glad that I, that I never had children. I really am rich. I wouldn't want to bring a child into this world with everything that's happening. Um, and it's just, you know, it, you know, it's Justin, terrible. I'm just going to respond to that because I, it breaks my heart to hear that only because, you know, I happen to have two kids and, uh, I love them. They're terrific. And, and, and it, it really has been one of the most magnificent things that I've ever gone through in my life was becoming a dad. And I'm not trying to change your mind. I understand because whenever I'm doing radio and I say something like this, I realize my kids are, you know, my youngest daughter is going to be a legal adult in a few months when she turns 18. And uh, my older daughter is 21 going on 22. And it doesn't mean we're out of the woods, but it does mean I don't have a kid that's sitting in a third grade, uh, grade classroom right now that's being subjected to this type of material. And I am grateful for that. I have to be frank with you. And so when you say that, you know, you're, you're glad you didn't, you, you didn't become a parent, I understand that at some level, even though I, I don't think it's a good idea and I recommend parenthood to everybody, I, I also understand how I would be ambivalent. I, I feel I'm fearful for people that have a five, <clears throat> a five-year-old or a six-year-old or even a 10-year-old. This is a very tough, precarious time to raise a child. There is so much against you. It's almost like the deck is stacked against you and you've really got to, you've really just got to, you know, navigate a minefield to effectively parent your kids. Anyway, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, Justin. I just wanted to share that thought and I do appreciate your call. Always a pleasure to talk to you in Manchester, New Hampshire. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. We got more calls from South Carolina, Ohio, and more coming in. 833-4-Valdez. Let's go. It's Open Phone America. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. We're going to continue with your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. But I want to remind you that in the first two hours of this program, and again, I know some people are, you know, you chime in, it's radio, right? Radio's measured in quarter hours because they realize you might only listen to one, two, maybe three segments by the time you get to your destination and get out. But we're on for three hours. And not every market carries the full show. 
You should, and I urge anybody uh, who wants to hear all three hours, make sure you let the program director at your local station know. But if you're missing any of the hours, uh, you can always go to Rich Valdez, America at Night, Dot com and listen to anything you may have missed. And tonight we had John O'Connor, who was the guy who convinced Deep Throat to come clean during Watergate and speak with the media. He blasted the Washington Post, uh, and it was an excellent conversation. We talked with Jake Denton, and of course, uh, we also talked with the inventor of the RMNA, uh, or mRNA, excuse me, vaccine. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who was censored for, you know, all of the stuff that he was saying that all ended up being true. And uh, he he was uh, extremely insightful. If you missed any of that, definitely check out the uh, podcast or the replay at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. But I got a clip for you. Listen to this. Science has become politicized. It's unfortunate. Everything in our world now is politicized. And uh, what should have been common cause that brought us all together um, in, in common cause to overcome an external foe has instead divided us. And I think this is perhaps the biggest tragedy of all of this is not just the loss of life, but the tearing apart of the fabric of our society and turning us on each other. Well said, Dr. Malone. If, again, I urge you to check out that interview. If you haven't heard the whole thing, the, the guy is brilliant and, uh, he, he was just really insightful. Uh, definitely a, a, ver- a good conversation. Anyway, I want to continue with your calls on everything that we're talking about tonight. Uh, we haven't brought too much in. Uh, we played that one clip that was there, and a lot of people have that. But I'm also open to other topics. And speaking about things getting political, like Dr. Malone mentioned, uh, let's go to South Carolina and check in with Jerome. Last time I spoke with you, Jerome, you were throwing around racial slurs about Clarence Thomas. What's on your mind tonight? Uh Hey, um, Tim Scott's running for president. He's going to he's he's got an exploratory committee to uh, probably try to run for president. Yeah, he got no chance. He got no, who convinced him? How, who convinced him that that he should run for president? Because he's got no chance. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's got a chance either. Yeah, I don't know who's going to vote for him. If you're black, if you're a woman, if you're black. You will never be president of this country running as a Republican. It'll never happen. Why not? It's not going to happen. Why not? <laughs> hey, it's never happened before, and it's never going to happen. But why wouldn't it happen? Can you tell me why? I didn't say it. You're the one that said it. You know, like, I think I think we could see a black president. I just don't think it's going to be Tim Scott. Oh, as a Republican, it'll never happen. No. Why? You never make me... It just ain't gonna happen. What if Donald Trump tomorrow started to identify as black and he gets elected? Would that count? Hey, by the way, he's suing Michael Corns for five hundred million dollars, so good luck with that. Yeah, well, you know, he already won two lawsuits against Stormy Daniels. I think she owes him just around that much. Yeah, but he's gonna have to testify in order to um, get this thing going, so and you know he doesn't like to testify, does he? Why would he have to testify? It's a civil lawsuit. Well, <laughs> look, he never likes to testify. He's never testified. And when he does, he makes a fool of himself. Barr always said. Well, hang on a second. When, when did Donald Trump ever testify, and when did he make a fool of himself, Jerome? This was like um, some time. I don't know what it was about, but they, they were questioning him, and he was trying to give us some answers. 
and he just tripped all over himself. Bar no, 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 no. I haven't seen that one. What's the, the date on that one? It, it was years ago. William Barr oh, already ago. said he doesn't want him. He, he'll make a lousy witness. You don't want to, just like with these 34 counts, he will never testify in this thing. There's no well, way. I'll tell you that I wouldn't either. I mean, literally, we have a constitution that the whole Fifth Amendment, uh, not all, the whole of it, but uh, a good part of it is about not testifying against yourself. If he's the accused in the matter, uh, I would not testify against myself if I was the accused in the matter. So, yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying doesn't make a ton of sense, especially with Barr. Barr is a political rival of, of Trump's, and truth be told, I mean, you're saying he was lousy at being a witness. I think Barr was lousy at being an attorney general. But, you know, I guess the jury's still out on that one. Anyway, Jerome, uh, anything you want to add? Hey, good luck getting that $500 million for Michael Cohen, Donald. <laughs> all right, Jerome. Good luck uh, in all of your endeavors as well. Always good to check in with Jerome. Thank you, Jerome, in South Carolina. WTMA, great station, by the way. Thank you so much. Love the dissenting opinions. Uh, let us continue. Let's see. Where do we go here? Uh, we're going to Kyle. He's in Wooster, Ohio, WNIR. Kyle, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey. Hey, Rich. How are you, man? Wonderful. Well, thank I you. I absolutely Love your love your show, man. You're doing an Thank awesome you. job. To I appreciate that. that. Thank you so much. But uh, sorry to like derail the, uh, the the where the conversation's at. But I I was just thinking of a caller. I believe it was last Friday, uh, <clears throat> and it sounded like they were, you know, they were they were part of the like the, the, the they would probably identify as the right, you know, um, Republicans, my guess, which yeah. I do too. Um, mm-hmm. And they mentioned something about uh, the Second Amendment. And how they don't think that it protects people's rights to stockpile ammunition. And that just irks me to no end when people say things like that, because the thing is, the, the Second Amendment actually mentions being able to uh, form a, 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 a well-regulated, well-regulated militia. militia. Yeah. Yes, sir. And the thing is, militias usually have stockpiles of ammo. And uh, <laughs> I think we can learn... From Vietnam, like if you, I mean, really, when you look at it with an open mind, like uh, if you look at Vietnam, you look at Afghanistan, and look at it from their point of view. And I'm not saying that they're right. I don't agree with anything uh, that they did. I think they're, those were horrific wars. Uh, but in in their view, they were, and at the most basic uh, core, a well-regulated militia on each each end of those, fighting an oppressor, an oppressive government coming into their homelands. And they would not have been as successful, unfortunately for us, uh, if they didn't have well-regulated militias with stockpiles of ammo. Yeah, listen, I think the bottom line here, and and I don't mean to cut you off, but I agree with you. Listen, if if you're going to give me a gun, right, and nobody's given me a gun, right, my right to to the Second Amendment is a God-given right. But in, in so much as me having this right, what point is it for me to have a gun if I can't have ammo, right? I mean, it just, it makes no sense in the world. So to argue against it is nonsensical, in my opinion. I mean, it's really a non-starter in in terms of a conversation on that to say, oh, yeah, have all the guns you want, but you can't have all the ammo you want. Well, excuse me. No. Says who, you? That's stupid. And, you know, I don't think we even need to get intellectual here. I mean, it's it's stupid. Am, Am I wrong? Oh, I totally agree with you. My whole thinking is if 
something, God forbid, I uh, hope never, I hope never, uh, anything was to happen uh, in the United States where there were needs for militias. Hopefully that never happens. But if if something does happen, our Constitution protects our right to protect ourselves. The whole point of stockpiling ammo is not for you. It's for a militia. <laughs> yeah. No, listen, I, I, I am, I'm with you 100 percent. And there are militias all over uh, the country, both private and even state operated. There's a uh, there's a militia in Texas that's run by the state. That's uh, like adjacent to the National Guard, but it can't be federalized. It's only at the state level, which I think is great. Um, th- there's there's a right to have to keep and bear arms. Uh, I, in my opinion, under arms, it's not just you know the rifle, the musket, the the nine millimeter, the AR fifteen, uh, whatever it is, but it's the ability to use it, obviously, and to to have the brass and lead that that you need to make it work. So, uh, I, I, again, I, I can't I just can't have conversations uh, at that level because it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I'm stunned. Right. <laughs> I'm stunned when people make arguments like that. It's just crazy. Kyle, I thank you, brother. Uh, Wooster, Ohio, WNIR. Great call. Great station, by the way. And uh, we're going to pause right here coming back to your calls we got calls in new york calls in connecticut calls coming in don't go anywhere it's america at night we're doing open phone america i'm rich valdez this is america at night with rich valdez Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. We're going to go to Zanesville, Ohio. Check in with my buddy Paul, WHIZ. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, you know, Rich, I agree with you most of the time. Um, uh, In the center, I lean to the right. Um, uh, conservative, um, but you and I are probably going to be. You're, you're, you're not. I know I'm going to take it from you for for this, but Rich, <laughs> I believe in red flag laws. But yeah. the reason being, if a kid's 18 years old or so, and he walks in to get a gun, he says, "I need three AR-15s." You know, I need 500,000 rounds of ammunition. Don't you think that uh, maybe that part of the solution is uh, uh, checking into them and and, and checking their um, mental health history, maybe talk to their parents sure. you know, or something. I mean, yeah, but that's I, not a red flag I, I, law. I, I mean, that's a part of, of a gun purchase. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you have to have your uh, legal background check. But it, it just seems to me that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. You know, I'm armed myself. But I think that a red flag law would do something for that. I mean, Rich, what I'm looking for is a solution because everybody talks about it and everybody talks about it. But let's have a solution. And that's where I lean to the left a little bit is when it comes to these red flag laws. And I know you're going to kill me, but go ahead. I'm not going to kill you. You know why? Because I believe you're a good person. And I believe just like you, I also want a solution. And and we had a a sidebar conversation yesterday night uh, with um, our producer, Mr. Hinton. And we were talking about how red flag laws, uh, it's not – they're they're fundamentally flawed. It's not. It it isn't a solution. If it was, it, it would be nice. It's almost like saying, 
I love the idea of universal basic income. This way, everybody has some money coming in from the government. We all pay taxes anyway. We might as well get something out of this deal. And 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 you can use sentiment and flowery language to sell lots of very tough ideas. The the issue is a red flag law, in my opinion, in in is not really ever going to effectively work and not the way it's intended. It'll ultimately just take power away from people that that shouldn't be stripped of power and it's not going to stop a crazy person. The problem is that you and me and everybody else that's listening that has a, a beating heart inside of their body, they don't want to see children killed in a school. They don't want to see mass shootings. They don't want to see massacres of any kind because we're good people. And and as good people, human people that, you know, we get cut, we bleed, we care about our fellow man, we don't want to see that happen. So when somebody makes a recommendation, especially in a heightened political atmosphere where they'll make this recommendation with lots of hyperbole and lots of rhetoric – and, you know, like Corrine Jean-Pierre and others that'll say, how many more kids have to die before you agree to these red flag laws? It automatically makes you, you've, you know, take this introspection upon yourself where you say, man, I don't want any more kids to die. I better sign on to this. But the reality is there's no proof that this would ever work. And the argument would be then, well, give it a shot. Maybe it will. And listen, don't give up liberty for temporary security, right? This was the admonition. Um, and, and, and that's truly the admonition, right? Because why would we do such a thing? How do we stop someone from being crazy? There, there's nobody stopping anybody right now, whether you have a law or not, from saying, my neighbor is like, a, I don't know, kind of weird incel type, I keep seeing them come in and out with a rifle. Do what you got to do. You can always drop a tip. Cops can investigate that. Things can happen. That Nobody's stopping people from doing their due diligence as good citizens. But there is no reason for me to believe that somehow a lawful gun owner should be stopped by the government from doing something when there's absolutely no proof. Now, listen, when you, you know, the example that you made, I agree with that. I think if you go into a gun store on your 18th birthday, because you're now allowed to, to, to buy. And again, these things do vary by state. I can tell you in the state of New Jersey, you can't buy, which is where I uh, make my home. You can't uh, just go in and buy three AR-15s. It doesn't matter. You can't buy three twenty-two calibers. You just can't buy three of anything um, that way. I think you're limited to one gun a month is what I believe. I might be wrong, but that I believe is, is the case. So that's the case. Um, now buying 500 rounds of ammo, I'm, I think everybody should be allowed to buy whatever they want to buy. Again, if they want to ration that and say, oh, you can only buy five at a time. And if you want to build it up, then you got to keep coming back every month to build up. Then, you know, I don't like that idea because I feel like it infringes upon me and it infringes upon my second amendment. And, you know, they literally put those words in there shall not be infringed for that reason. And I believe there was a lot of brilliance, a lot of wisdom that went into crafting all of the amendments and the and and the Constitution. And and if it's something that needs to be changed, then we should follow the rules and change it uh, accordingly. That hasn't happened, nor do I think it's going to happen, because when you put these things on a scale, Paul, whether it's having the the right to 
to protect yourself against the tyrannical government, the tyranny of the majority, self-protection, whatever and what have you, or losing those rights in the name of potentially preventing some crazy person, I have to err on the side of protecting myself from that crazy person with my firearm. Anyway, I have to take a break. Paul, love you. Appreciate the conversation. Zanesville, Ohio. Big shout out to WHIZ. More to come straight ahead. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Let us go to Robert in Plattsburgh, New York, WVMT out of Vermont. Go right ahead. Hi there, Rich. One one quick point of clarity. I know it's getting late here. Um, the nation was founded on specific uh, principles by uh, of metaphysics by the, the uh, our founding fathers, who were Rosicrucians, Freemasons, etc. They knew the identification uh, identification of God was non-polarity because from the creator down, like a waterfall at the top of the waterfall, it divides into the polarities that make things work, like batteries, human beings, the things that, and they have to be positive and negative. And the correct things to have the right things make creation happen, and all of it is in the proper order. And nowadays, everybody doesn't understand that. They're turning it all around, upside down or backwards, or changing it. Yeah, it makes sense why the national motto is, in God we trust, right, Robert? That's correct. And But you have to understand who, what that is, and they don't. They, they don't understand. They said try to make it a woman or an it or something. It's not. It's above polarity, but everything down from it, the energy is broadcasted down from the creation, is in a specific order of polarity for a reason. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Gary, Richfield, Connecticut, WLAD. we got a minute to go. Go right ahead. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Uh, th- thanks for squeezing me in. Yes, sir. Um, I'm not going to have enough I'm not going to have enough time to uh, ask the uh, question that I wanted to, which uh, regarded uh, what Dr. Malone was talking about. Um, he was, by, uh, I'll just say he was a fantastic guest. And um, I, I w- uh, wanted to say that um, I listened to almost your whole program tonight. John O'Connor was a Thank fantastic you. guest. And last night you had on uh, Mr. Uh, A.W.R. Hawkins, and I thought he was, uh, he was terrific as well. Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your call. Hate to cut you off, but the music means they're kicking us all out of here. Uh, But we will come back until the next time, which in Spanish is hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This was America at Night. We're going to do it all again tomorrow, God willing. Until then, stay tuned on that radio station. There's more programming right now. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.